This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, an open access online community of healthcare professionals sharing best practices from around the world. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Hello, and welcome to Open Pediatrics Nursing Wheelchair Practice Podcast. My name is Michelle DeGrazia, and I'm here today with Greg Durkin. He is the Director of Clinical Education and Informatics and Associate Director for Interprofessional Education for the Boston Children's Hospital Academy. He'll be speaking to us today about finding professional joy. Welcome, Greg. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here with you today. So let's begin by uh, talking about finding your joy. We hear a lot about this in popular culture. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about finding joy versus professional joy. And is this the same or different concept? Yeah, this is a great question. Let's start by dissecting those phrases. So what we hear in popular culture, you know, magazines, television, et cetera, um, a lot of social media, I see this a lot on social media. And when people talk about need to find my joy, or that doesn't bring me joy. I see this a lot, like, oh, I'm not doing this anymore because that doesn't bring me joy. And I want people to really think about that. Saying that I need to find my joy or I need to do things that bring me joy, uh, those imply that joy is given to you and that it's an expectation. And I think that's not really how the world works. (laughs) And that creates a, a disconnect in our personal life and our professional life. And so then we have to think about how to translate into professional work. Personally, I feel like it's sort of absurd to expect that one's professional responsibilities are to bring joy every single minute of every single day. I also kind of reject the notion that other people that we work with or our organizations are responsible for making me joyful. Certainly people and organizations can influence that joy, you know, for positive and for negative, but I don't think that we should be expecting other people and organizations to give us joy. So I wanted to start there by sort of really thinking about, is joy something you're entitled to or is a joy a feeling state? And I think in the popular culture, when we, we hear people talk about bringing you joy, it's really about a lovely dinner at a restaurant or a beautiful sunset. Like these are all things that bring you joy. I'm not saying these are bad things, okay? I think these are different than professional joy And professional joy is something else. And I I wish we had another thing to call it besides professional joy, but that's what we call it. And and to really help with this, I want to contrast the concept of uh, joy with happiness. And I think of when people talk in in, in their personal lives about things that bring them joy, they're really talking about happiness and what makes me happy, right? A hug, a nice word, a sunset, a vacation, a lovely dinner, you know, whatever it is, right? And happiness is super important, but happiness is a temporary expression of an internal emotional state. It is not long lasting. I ask you and I ask people listening to think about the last time you thought to yourself or you said, that makes me so happy. Number one, listen to that makes me so happy. So I'm something else or someone else is making me happy. It's not anything I'm doing, right? And what was that? And I'm willing to bet the last time we said, oh, I'm so happy right now, or that makes me so happy. It was because somebody did or did something for you or gave something to you. 
And that can be even a sort of a more ethereal thing, like you saw a beautiful sunset, right? You didn't really take that, but you saw it, right? And happiness then is a function of taking, not in a selfish way. I don't mean that we're running around going greedy, greedy, greedy. It's mine, 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 mine. Like that's not what I'm talking about, but it's a function of taking. Joy, quite the opposite, is associated with a function of giving. And joy, I want to define a sense of professional joy as those things that we do that help us to contribute, that help us give to others and other organizations, and that are really about our sense of meaning and purpose. So that's really great. I mean, I think it's important for in our profession where it's so difficult and challenging to really understand the differences between these concepts, because, you know, you can certainly get a lot of joy in your profession that may not be necessarily a happy experience, right? Yes. Maybe very difficult. That's what you're saying, correct? This is exactly what I'm saying. And over a decade ago, uh, the person I was reporting to uh, called me into our office and said, Greg, we want you to do a presentation. The name of the topic that we want you to investigate and then present on is called professional joy. And then she took a breath and she said, looked at me right in the eye and she said, I know this isn't your thing. And I was like, um, that's weird, but I guess you're right. I guess I'm not really, I'm not really like a hugger. You know what I mean? I'm not that kind of a person. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what she means. And so then I started, I went out back to the workspace with my colleagues who are like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I have to do a talk on professional joy. And then people were like giggling and they were like, you, you're going to do a talk on professional joy. That's the most funny thing I ever heard. Then I went and I was posting it on Facebook and I'm like, oh, everybody, I'm going to do a talk on professional joy. Looking for any tips. You know, I, I use social media to get additional information from, you know, the popular culture. And people are like, why are you doing that? And Michelle, I started to get insulted because everybody thought this was so funny. And I was, I kept thinking to myself, why is this so funny? And I realized after a lot of introspection and a lot of reflection and a lot of research about the concepts of joy and happiness, I realized that people were thinking of professional joy as an external expression of happiness. And it's the smiley face and I can't wait to come into work. I'm dewy eyed and ready to go, right? Yeah. And this isn't me. This is, that's not me. I, I don't walk around like that. This does not mean I'm unhappy. This does not mean I'm depressed. This does not mean I'm angry. I'm just, I'm just not a spring in my step, particularly in the morning, because I'm not a morning person. I also noticed that in American culture, we are commanded to be happy. We are commanded to be happy every single minute of every single day. And if you are not happy, there's something wrong with you. And it almost always can be solved by buying something. Happiness has turned into this incredible marketing tool to get people to buy things. And I, I like to buy things. I'm a shopper. But I don't think this is how I should structure my life. I don't think I should structure my life around smiley happy, you know, because I bought a new shirt. You know what I mean? I think what's better in the long run, and the literature backs me up on this, is to have a sense of meaning and purpose and release myself of that pressure of having to have this, you know, 
super giant smile with, you know, the white sparkly teeth when you say hello in the morning. I'm not saying I'm walking around like a crab, but I think aiming for where's my meaning? What is my purpose? What is my contribution? What is my connection to the society and to the world around me? And those are the things that are professional joy. And when you do that, when you are contributing, when you're giving and learning, you feel a sense of accomplishment, pride, satisfaction, and fulfillment. And when you listen to those words, accomplishment, pride, satisfaction, and fulfillment, nobody can give those to you, right? No one can give those to you. Those are about you and you. And if you feel those things, those are associated with meaning and purpose and professional joy. And people who have this meaning and purpose are more resilient, live longer, are more satisfied with their work. So we should be striving, obviously, to to find the joy. Yeah. And um, can in in I guess that gives a great segue into my next question is if you can talk a little bit about what the obstacles um, might be to experiencing that joy. Yeah, there 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 are obstacles all around us, right? There are obstacles in our work environments for some of us, right? Not all of us, but for some of us. I certainly have worked in other organizations where the culture was not positive, where punishment and fear ruled the organization, where there was unethical behavior, where there was distrust among colleagues, where the values of the organization were not aligned with mine. And I worked this organization I'm thinking of. I was in a different state and I worked there for about a year and a half and it affected me tremendously. It affected my physical health. It affected my mental and emotional health. It affected my relationships with other people. And the entire time I was experiencing this, I felt powerless and stuck. Then there's also other obstacles outside of our work environments. Um, There's opportunities that are or not available to you in a variety of ways. There are financial pressures that we have. There's lack of self-care. There's lack of work-life effectiveness. You know, none of us is immune to what's going on in the society around us. And right now there seem to be many sources of stress. Politics, the pandemic, issues of otherness and injustice, climate issues, economic disparities, the false narrative on social media that everybody is living this magical life when it's really not what's happening. On and on and on. And, you know, when you start talking about it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing anybody can get out of bed in the morning. And I was reflecting recently that when I was a young staff nurse, so it was a long time ago, and I remember hanging out with one of my colleagues and we started talking about, and this was the, the late 80s, and we were talking about all of the things going on in the world and talking about how stressed we felt about that, how there was so much to be worried about, that how do we prioritize which horrible thing in the world was going on? And I was thinking about this just recently and I thought, gosh, here I thought that right now was the most horrible time ever for me, but actually I felt this way 40 years ago, you know, and that sort of comforted me in some strange way. So all those things are obstacles to joy 
and you have to you have to sort of pay attention to them and how they're affecting you. So what might indicate that professional joy is slipping away from you or how would you recognize it? And you've talked a little bit about this, that we get caught up in everything going on around us. um, And you maybe have a sense of something's not right. How do you know if this is the issue? So the first part is you have to have some self-awareness and, you know, um, not everybody's very good at that, right? I have found in just doing this presentation in various forms and various organizations for the last decade or so, that there are people, I call them the joyless people. There are joyless people in the audience and this talk sort of snaps them. Like I've actually had people come up to me after or email me after and say, you know what? I realized I was joyless and I had to make some changes and, you know, great, good for you. People who are feeling an absence of joy They're not connecting with their meaning and purpose. Number one, they're overly focused on happiness. So if you're overly focused on everybody doing things for you to make you happier, this is a sign that you might be disassociating from professional joy. If you are having not a bad day, but a bad 13 weeks, this might be a sign that there's a problem around your professional joy. People with professional joy have bad days. They snap at people sometimes. Like this happens. We're all human. But people with a sense of meaning and purpose, you know, they have a bad day. They have a bad couple of days. They don't have a bad three months, right? And people who are joyless, that negative energy just sets up shop in their bodies. More of a chronic type of issue? It's much more of a chronic issue. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. People with a sense of joylessness, Um, do a lot of what I call sitting and waiting and hoping. People who are not without joy and are not connected to meaning and purpose are waiting for something to change. I I know people who are saying, I've just got to wait until they retire. I've just got to wait until he quits. I've just got to wait until this life event passes. And, you know, that waiting, doing that, is powerless, right? You, you feel powerless when you're just waiting. And that's frustrating. And that robs you of satisfaction, accomplishment, fulfillment, and pride. And those are associated with professional joy and meaning and purpose. They also, um, they point fingers, they grumble, they whine. Um, they, if you listen to yourself and you realize you're, you're pointing fingers, grumbling and whining a lot, you might be disconnected from meaning and purpose and professional joy. And you need to sort of shake yourself out of that. And I'm not talking about identifying systems and processes that need improvement and suggestions on how to improve it. Like we absolutely want people to do that. And we need people to say, you know, this isn't working. Like we need to do something about this. That's important. There's a difference. Like people who are just joyless, nothing is ever good enough. And people who are joyless, there's always something wrong. It doesn't matter. They also demonize. And demonizing is when we're not getting along with a person or, uh, or in, in sometimes an entire unit full of nurses, um, we start labeling them. And my great example about this is in, in many hospitals, we have a behavior where a patient is in the, uh, say, emergency department, and they have to get placed on a medical surgical floor. 
and the medical surgical floor gets the call and inevitably it's a change of shift or the most inconvenient time, right? And so the medical surgical floor starts to demonize the entire emergency department by saying, don't they understand how busy we are here? Don't they care about us? At the same time, the emergency department is backed up, they're stressed, there's all kinds of trauma down there, patients that need to be taken care of. And they're like, every time we call up, we get delays. Don't they understand how busy we are? Don't they understand we're going through? And so both entire units demonize each other. And it, now it's become, it's not just this one instance where, you know, hey, you know, this is a challenge. Can we wait 10 minutes? It becomes a, the entire unit, the entire group doesn't care about us. The entire group is just being mean to me. Like this demonizing of other individuals and groups for work behavior makes it much easier to hold on to our dissatisfaction. It makes us easier to hold on to anger. And then that makes it almost impossible to feel accomplished, satisfied, fulfilled, and proud. And, you know, people, they, they just live like they're not getting the joy they're entitled to. And the only way to change it is you have to do what I call um, personal internal heavy lifting. And you have to reflect about your work. You have to reflect about your nursing practice, reflect about your behavior and start thinking, do I feel satisfied, accomplished, fulfilled, and proud? Or do I feel um, like I need to complain some more? And it, it's on you. You have to do something to snap yourself out of it. In my situation, I was joyless in the 90s in this organization. And at this organization, I had a contract. And that contract said I had to work there for 12 months and I couldn't leave. And at 12 months in one day, I started looking for a new job because I knew in that particular circumstance that staying employed there was not going to work. And it took me several months, but I found a new job and it was a great fit with my ethics and values. Uh, the people I worked with were challenging, but supportive. And I worked at that organization for five years before moving on. I had to do something. I couldn't, nobody else could fix it. I had to do it. Right. So you took action. Some of the action though, I imagine you could do in your own workplace um, to try to change culture, right? If it was, if it was amenable to that. Yeah. Oh, 100%, Michelle. Uh, there are some simple things that I think all of us can do before we feel joyless to keep ourselves centered and connected with meaning and purpose. And I call them my ideas. There's five ideas. And my first idea is that you need to commit to your job and you need to commit to the job that you're in and the organization you're in. And you need to do that. And I joke with people like that. This means you need to do everything about your job. You know, you need to do your annual courses that every organization makes you do. And we need to not have to chase you down to do that. I joke uh, with some of my inpatient nursing friends. I'm like, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we pay you to take admissions, right? <laughs> like we pay you to do that. We pay you to do admissions and discharges. We pay you for medication history. We pay you to document. We pay you to do all these things. And what I have found with healthcare people, this is not specific to nursing, is we are all educated and trained in our professions to be autonomous critical thinking professionals. And so that then leads some of us to believe that part of our work is optional. 
And I hope people are listening to this and having a little laughter of self-recognition because all of us have moments where we're like, you're not paying me enough to do that. And I'm like, actually, this is what we're paying you to do. So that's the commit to your job. That's the first thing you need to do is you have to understand what your job is and you need to do it. And you need to not be a person that your leadership is constantly nagging you to do something. If, if you want to feel like a professional with meaning and purpose, you need to act like one. And we, we, we should not have to remind you to renew your license every two years. Like, we, like, what is that? We should not have to do that. Second thing I think you, you can do is you can live in the present and live in the moment. And I don't mean just ignore all the stresses in your life, but I mean sort of um, reprioritize and don't panic about all the million other things that need to be done. Today, I'm doing this and I'm going to focus on this right now. I have a great personal example of this very moment. I'm helping edit a textbook for a professional organization. And I have 11 chapters I'm responsible for. And all those chapters have come into my email inbox. And I now have to read 11 chapters and edit them and send them back to the authors and do this whole process. And this is causing me angst, right? And, but I have to do a podcast right now. And so my focus is on doing this podcast and paying attention right here. And when I finish this, I will do some more work. And then this afternoon, I will start to read one chapter. I'm going to do one thing at a time, and I'm just going to plug away with it. It sounds so simple, but it's amazing to me how easy it is for us to fall into this. I have 4,000 things to do, and I've got to do them all at the same time. And I have three meetings right now, and I'm going to go to each one for 10 minutes. And it's like, no, no, no. We have to take our life back and say, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to live in this moment. The third thing we need to do is we need to understand our value in our organizations. And what is the contribution we're making to clinical practice environment or our administrative practice department environment, depending on where you work? What is that contribution? How is it recognized? How do I recognize others? Am I really worthy of recognition, right? I mean, we all think that we're super amazing, but maybe, maybe that day we weren't so super. We all have to have these, like, what is my value? Uh, my fourth idea is about taking care of yourself. Nurses minimize the need for self-care. We disrespect it. We don't encourage it among each other. We don't talk about it. And this is well-documented in the literature, right? And I find that nurses, we are so busy taking care of everyone else that that's exhausting. And when I ask nurses, who's taking care of you? Almost always, Michelle, the answer is no one. I'm so glad you brought this up because this goes to, you know, taking a break during your workday because, mm -hmm. you, you know, that does help you reinvigorate, right? To take absolutely. care of others. So you really do need to take care of yourself. You absolutely do. And you need to take care of your body, but you also need to take care of your brain. We all have periods where we do routine work, even though it might be a different patient, different family, different diagnosis, the work becomes a little routine and routine work can be draining. So you need to do something to stimulate your brain. For me, it's, it's editing these 11 book chapters, right? This is stimulating my brain. It's stressful, but I'm realizing what I'm contributing. I know I'm adding value. I know I'm respected for my contribution. These make me feel satisfied, accomplished, fulfilled, and proud, right? Yeah. And I'm going to have my name on a book cover. So I'm going to feel proud. And 
that's stimulating my brain, but I also have to take care of my body. And so I have to rest. I have to sleep. In the middle of the winter, I started trying to do yoga and I'm as graceful as a three-legged gazelle and I won't do it in front of anybody, but there I am with my online video. I'm not perfect. I got to do it too. So you've got to take care of yourself in all of those ways. And one of, one of my favorite things that I think about a lot with clinical nurses in particular who are like, I can't take a break. I can't go to lunch. I can't do anything. And here's my phrase. And I hope people don't get insulted, but just take it for the sense of humor. I mean, it is I was so busy being a martyr. I forgot I could ask for help, right? I've done it. I've done it. I've been so busy thinking I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Nobody else can do it. I have to do it. So I can't do this. I can't leave. I can't. And then I'm like, yeah, I forgot I could ask for help. There are people that you can ask for help. And then my last idea is called connect and engage. And this means don't just come to work and do your tasks. Get to know people that you work with. You don't have to be friends with everybody you work with, and you shouldn't expect yourself to be friends with everybody you work with. But I bet you there's a couple of people you really like. Get to know people. Talk about some personal stuff. Um, connect to your organization. Pay attention to what's going on. Um, pay attention to what's going on in the nursing profession. There is all kinds of changes going on in nursing this very moment from nurse practitioner practice acts across the country to the role of the academic educator to the, to the way the curriculum is changing for undergraduate pre-licensure nursing education. You don't have to do these things, but you know, just connect. People with professional joy are connected to a person in place. And there's so much to be done in our profession, you so know, much. everywhere you look. So in terms of profession, the concepts that you've talked about today, can they be applied to any profession or is this specific to nursing? I think I've done this versions of this presentation, this content for all kinds of professions in all levels of healthcare. And it seems to resonate regardless. Of course, there are specific things to nursing culture and how nurses know each other and how nurses communicate, just like there are for physical therapists and for physicians and pharmacists. Like we all have our own, you know, structures and processes. So I really believe that this isn't specific to nursing at all. Well, you've given us a lot to think about today. What can somebody do if they want to learn more about this topic and get more ideas in terms of how they can help find their own professional joy? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is when you're doing, you're looking around because, you know, let's face it, most people are just going to go to an internet search engine and type in professional joy and start clicking. I mean, most people are not going to open up their medical library and look for research articles. When you're doing that, be really critical about the articles that you're reading. You can find it in the first paragraph if what they're really talking about is a superficial external expression of happiness or if they're really talking about meaning and purpose. Really, you have to, you have to be critical there because there's a lot about that says joy, but it's really about people need to make me happy. And second, I would say, think about where you have a gap. Are you not committing fully to your work? Are you not living in the moment? Do you not see your value? Are you not taking care of yourself? Are you not connecting and engaged? And then actually focus your further effort on that, right? There's tons of literature and websites out there about how to commit to your work, how to live in the moment, how to take care of yourself. There's tons and you can pick and choose and just 
start giving yourself a personal development plan, right? You can do that. I also would recommend a TED Talk. And the TED Talk, I'm not normally a fan of TED Talks, that's my disclaimer, but I like this one. It's from 2017, and it's by a woman named Emily Esfani Smith, and it's called There's More to Life Than Being Happy. And what she says is very similar to what I'm saying, but she approaches it from a, she calls it positive psychology perspective. She also wrote an article in the Atlantic in 2013, also called There's More to Life Than Being Happy. And it's a, a story about a psychiatrist in the Holocaust who helped people in concentration camps feel a sense of meaning and purpose. And I remember 10 years ago when I read the article, I remember thinking, golly, if somebody can feel meaning and purpose in those extraordinary circumstances, perhaps I can feel meaning and purpose answering some emails today. Well, I want to thank you so much, Greg, for sharing this information with us today. And, you know, we really appreciate this. You know, maybe we'll have you back again and um, talk a little bit more about finding professional joy um, down the road. So anyway, thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks very much. You too, Michelle. It's been great. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. You can find the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast in the description. We have more podcasts like this one available everywhere you get your podcasts. Visit openpediatrics.org for more information. Thank you.